think I might be able to hear you now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Thank All you. Right. Yes. My partner was like, I can already hear you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Hi. Thank you, Susan's partner, uh, for the, yeah. helping us out with the technical difficulties. Hey, thanks for your time, Susan. I really appreciate you doing this on a weekday, weeknight of all times. Much appreciated. Oh, no problem. Yeah, no, thank you for putting out the call in the first place. Yeah, yeah. This has been really exciting. And I actually feel like I've, I have been bombarded with information from all of these amazing, amazing oh gosh, poets. Yeah. So uh, as a playwright, theater person, it's really nice to kind of get to know what's going on in uh, you folks' realm. So that's pretty awesome. If you don't mind, I'm probably going to be asking you a whole bunch of questions about your yeah. poetry collection, about past, present, and future. But if it's okay, I'd like to start at the beginning, um, at least from your bio. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like for you in Virginia growing up? Because that, that was home, right, at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. So I was born and raised in Virginia, and I spent, I mean, most of my life, well, at this point, I guess not because I'm older now, <laughs> um, but more than half my life, I guess, um, growing up in Virginia. Um, I don't think I appreciated living in Virginia until I moved to Arizona, actually for grad school. Mm. Um, but when I say that, I really mean like the nature and the landscape and just the green. Um, you know, my my Zoom background right now, this, this is firework. <laughs> I'm sorry, not fireworks. Um, green fireflies. That was really big um, for me growing up in Virginia. And I know the color green and fireflies and insects from Virginia definitely appear in my collection. Um, yeah. And I don't think I really appreciated the area until grad school and living in the desert just because it's so, so different. And yeah. I spent a lot of time writing poetry focused on the diaspora, but as a result, you know, my childhood, girlhood, growing up. So, mm -hmm. like, that was the landscape I was drawing from probably the most um, mm -hmm. in the color green. Like, that appears, I know, so much um, <laughs> throughout those poems, just because that's really what I was kind of immersed in, in terms of just memories yeah. um, and trying to think of, um, like you said, just those experiences um, growing up. Yeah. No, it's kind of funny. You, you mentioned going from a really lush green place to mm -hmm. the desert. I'm a Mexican raised in Wyoming. So all I've known is just like gray and yellow, yeah. <laughs> like sagebrush. Right. And then uh, my wife and I, we moved to Seattle for a long time. It was really green and overwhelming to the point that by the time we got back to Wyoming, it just felt like this, this just feels like a, like a foreign place. It doesn't feel right to me. Um, now you mentioned in some of the interviews, the, there was this mention of church and whiteness. I think it may have been the interviewer who who noted that about some of that time growing up. Do you recall feeling like that had a huge impact on the way that you saw the world, the way you saw yourself? Yeah. Um, so it's actually interesting because I, growing up, I don't think I really thought about it too hard, right? It's now that I'm an adult and I'm reflecting through poetry and trying to process a lot Yeah. just about what, I don't know, what is said and not said, right? And for me, I'm th thinking specifically of my family and my parents just because, you know, they're in the U.S. because of the Vietnam War, right? My, a lot of my family came here as refugees, but that stuff wasn't really talked about. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't know a lot of that growing up. But anyway, growing up when I was younger, I, I grew up in Northern Virginia, so pretty close to Washington, D.C. And like, it was actually relatively, I would say, diverse. And I say that now because I live in Arizona <laughs> and I can kind of look back and appreciate like, oh, okay, yeah, that was actually relatively diverse. Um, I will say though that I didn't have, I didn't know that many other Vietnamese people though. Mm. Um, you know, beyond like my, my family, I feel like in my community thinking of like my friends and like even just the media and what I saw around me, like there wasn't that much Vietnamese-ness, um, at least where I was. So 
I don't think I was thinking too much about whiteness at the time. I do mm. know now that I'm thinking back, I definitely wanted to be white, right? Or like mm. to get close to whiteness in many mm. ways. Um, I remember, and this is like kind of a, a random aside, but I remember in like middle school, everyone was getting into manga and anime. But my first thought was like, oh wait, that's really Asian. Like I don't want to be like connected to yeah, that, right? Because yeah. they'll make me seen as Asian, which I am, and everyone can see that, you know, like mm -hmm. physically just looking at me. But I was like, no, I want to stay away from that. So I was like, I think one of my last friends before I was like, okay, yeah, this is actually really cool. <laughs> but my first <laughs> instinct was like, no, like I don't want to like be closer to things that you know are yeah, Asian and. Yeah. At the time growing up, I didn't question like why, but you, you know, now that I'm an adult and have spent some time writing about and unpacking that, right? I can kind of see, okay, the internalized racism and just like yeah. what was going on when I was younger that probably, you know, I'm still going to spend forever um, trying to unpack. Absolutely. I do remember sometimes, you know, being raised Mexican in an LDS, pre predominantly white community, you're like, oh, why couldn't I be like that a little bit more? Mm -hmm. Or, or aspiring to that sort of thing. Do you remember or do you recall a time when you read something, read the work of somebody that really spoke to you and said, oh, this, this is my kind of person. This is, this is a person or an artist or creative who is communicating with me directly. Yeah. Um, that's a really wonderful question. I'm trying to remember because maybe it'll come to me as I'm, as I'm speaking, okay. but you know, growing up, I read so many books. Like I always wanted to be a writer, not necessarily a poet. I didn't really spend much time with poetry when I was younger, to be quite honest. Um, I, I think I kind of feared it. Um, mm. But I read a lot of novels. And I can think more recently, like, you know, in grad school and stuff, if I'm thinking really, really young when I was first reading, um, I remember Madeline Langell. Mm. I might be saying her last name incorrectly. And it was because of A Wrinkle in Time. And then I read oh, all right. of her books. I spent a lot of time in the library, but I read all of her books. I just remember being really young and reading that. And I think for me, it was really impactful just because of, I guess, some of the bigger topics that, I don't know, I don't know if adult is really the right word or what I'm trying to say, but just some of the bigger things that, that she was writing about in her work. I will say a lot of the work I was reading when I was younger probably wasn't like written by anyone Vietnamese or Asian American. I wasn't mm -hmm. consciously thinking of that. Right. Um, when I was younger and I don't think I can't really remember in elementary, middle, high school, even college, like not really reading much. Right. And it wasn't until yeah. I was purposefully thinking about it, especially in grad school. And I was like, have I even read a Vietnamese American poet? Like I have it <laughs> like, oh, my God, you know, and that's yeah, when I kind of yeah. started being a lot more intentional about it versus just kind of reading what was given to me or what was being taught, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. So in, in terms of uh, the way your family thought about your creative pursuits, uh, what was that experience like figuring out that you were going to go into writing or be a writer? Did you get any pushback from family or did they yeah. kind of understand or support that? Um, there's definitely some pushback. <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe pushback. That's probably a good word for it. I will say I remember, I don't know, being a kid, so 10 or even younger, and I was already saying to like my parents and family like when I grew up I want to be a writer and they're like oh that's cute like <laughs> I love that you love to read and write but maybe what about if you were this like maybe don't be a writer you know and it wasn't I was young so it wasn't so harsh as like no you know mm -hmm. how will you take care of yourself but it was definitely like that's nice but mm -hmm. why don't you think of these things right um and I when I went to college I was undecided for like two of the four years I was there I was really hopping around trying to figure out what was going on because I was like well I don't want to be an English major 
secretly I do, but also I shouldn't be right because my parents are right. Like how will I take care of myself and my family in the future? And these are all super valid concerns considering just my family and like their thoughts of survival, right? And, right. and these opportunities that they didn't have. Um, but yeah, I, I don't even remember what I was doing. I, I hopped around, I saw my advisor a lot and I was like, never mind, it's not this major. <laughs> and then after two years, eventually I was like, oh my God, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be an English major, right? Like, I think I always knew that that's where I would end up. And then the last two years, I spent a lot of time just taking as many English classes as I can within the different, I guess, um, like pathways within the major, like literature, creative writing, professional writing, um, I specifically, took a lot of professional writing classes because still that was me thinking, okay, I'm taking creative writing, but also don't worry. You know, I'm thinking of the future, right? Yeah. Like I'll do (laughs) something with the professional writing. Creative writing is just for me. Right. Yeah. So when I went a few years, a few years after undergraduate, when I decided, you know, and I'm going to pursue an MFA, which was a big, big decision um, for me. To be honest, I don't think my parents really know what an MFA is still. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they knew it was another degree and it was in English. They're like, okay, you're getting a master's, but they didn't necessarily understand mm. like an MFA specifically, you know? Um, and they knew I, I like to read and write. And then eventually I was like, guess what? I have a, a book coming out. And they're like, a book? What? Like, when did you, <laughs> when did this happen? When did you do that? You know? And meanwhile, that was literally my thesis <laughs> for my MFA. Um, and you you had mentioned in some interviews too the uh, the pivotal time that you spent in your MFA and in particular this you had some mentors there and these ideas of grief and ecstasy. Can you share a little bit about that kind of like the the big takeaways of that time and how that influenced the collection that you put together? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely have talked about the grief and ecstasy class um, that Natalie Diaz taught, and I believe that was the third year of my MFA, potentially even the last semester. Um, and I don't know, I feel like I spent the first few years I was writing, but I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> probably all very necessary for the whole writing process. But finally, in the third year, also probably with the pressure of, you know, oh, you need to write a thesis. Mm. All of a sudden, I was like, okay, like you really need to get serious. Um, and I still, I went into my third year knowing, like, okay, you're finally going to write about family. So I think I spent a long time not writing those poems mm. occasionally. I'd write one or two and not really spend too much time with it. You know, I was like, this is sentimental. Like this isn't, this isn't oh, where I want to spend my time, right? Yeah. This isn't where I want to spend my time or, or whatever, for whatever reason. But I think looking back is probably, you know, just avoiding avoidance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then eventually I was like, okay, like maybe some of these poems are good. Maybe they're going somewhere. And then like my whole third year, like that was the book, the project, right. Thinking of the Vietnam war, thinking of diaspora, doing more research on it. Um, mm-hmm. And interviewing my family going into that third year and and all these things and being very immersed in it um so i was already thinking about diaspora um the things that kind of get lost in, in memory and um when i took that class on grief and ecstasy and spent more time thinking about it and, and reading different works um for that class i think for me that just kind of I don't know. It was just, I guess, perfect timing, right? Like the words yeah. grief and ecstasy appear a lot in the collection. I think I was already thinking and writing towards it, but now I was like, no, I'm going to like name the thing, right? Like that some of these, the, the grief is like the things that can no longer happen or like the lives that can no longer be lived um, metaphorically and, and not metaphorically. And that maybe some of the, on the other side, you know, that thin line between grief and ecstasy is in my collection, the character Susie 
figuring out and learning more about some of that history and doing some of that identity work. And there's a lot of grief in there, right? But at the same time, having to do the work to learn that. And I always say Susie is definitely not me, but also is a version of myself too. <laughs> yeah. Do you recall uh, a breakthrough moment where you said uh, family's going to come along with this? I'm, I guess I'm just kind of surprised if, if something like mm -hmm. this was difficult for them to talk about to allow you to kind of get into those memories with, with your family? Or was there a moment where they said, it's okay to talk about this? Um, yeah, or were they um, just naturally open to sharing these things with you? Yeah. So growing up, I mean, my, my family probably talked about it like with, amongst themselves in terms of the adults, right? And I don't know, at least to me, I, I never, no one talked to me directly about it. Maybe they talked about it around me, but we were just kind of being kids running around not paying attention, As whatever that looked happen, like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then at some point I was like, wait, why don't, you know, some of my friends know their history, right? Some of that story, like there are some questions that like, why don't I know this about my family, right? Like mm. some things that may be big of how did we, we get here, but also minor things of like, like, what was your childhood like, right? Like what were some of the games you played? Like, what did your friend, like, who were your friends? Like these things that just didn't come up in conversation. <laughs> So for me, I going into my third year, um, the summer going into my third year, I actually had a fellowship from ASU where I did my grad um, grad program. And I used that money to go home and interview different members of my family. And to be honest, I feel like that was the first time that we got to have some of these like more difficult and tough conversations was oh, me wow. saying, hey, I'm I'm doing these interviews for a project for writing, you know, and do I think that if I'd asked these questions beyond like having the set project, like we could talk about it probably. Right. Mm. But I think at the time, that's kind of what I needed to be able to say like, Hey, like I'm intentionally doing research, you know, I'm trying to learn more on my own, but I also want to have these conversations with you um, and be diligent about what I'm asking and what I'm asking of you to talk about and remember. Mm. And I don't know, maybe without the scope of that project, I could have just easily asked and they would have easily talked about it. but. I think at that time, for me, this was all maybe not new information, but stuff I was learning and that I was kind of um, trying to figure out on my own. I felt like I needed that. And I also think that speaks to just like my relationship with my family, who I love, but like growing up, there's a lot that wasn't said, right? So I didn't yeah. feel necessarily comfortable just being like, okay, like I'm not yeah. like best friends with my family. Let me ask <laughs> these tough questions, you know? So for me, I needed the project for whatever reason. Um, so I'm glad it was able to, to right. do that. It seems like it, it was just the perfect vehicle to say, you know, mm -hmm. as not as an excuse, but just to say, here's this opportunity and, and let's mm -hmm. take advantage of it there to really come to terms with some things. Do you feel on the other side of it now that you have this, this document, this collection of, of moments there that it has brought some kind of healing, or is that even the point to arrive at some moment of, of healing through the the creative aspect of this whole thing yeah that's a good question that's tough i i don't think anyone's ever asked that before in terms of is that the point right mm -hmm. um i don't know i don't know if it is um i would like to say it has brought some moments of healing and the fact that now i can have these conversations you know like that mm -hmm. opened up um, a lot of doors into just getting to know my family better and as a result myself myself which i think is all important and necessary just for like future survival, right, of myself and and in the future. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe healing because we were able to have these conversations and continue them and I can bring that forward to to my future family, whatever that looks like. 
Um, yeah, and I guess as I'm talking, I'm like, no, actually, yeah, I'm <laughs> going to say there is healing because I think it's really important to be able to, one, in learning about my family and my history, also like write my own story, right? I think there's power in healing and healing and being able to, to tell my own story um, through my collection. And yes, some of it's truth, some of it is factual, some of it's not, some of it's totally imagined, you know? <laughs> but at the same time, like, for me, it's the truth. It's it's the story, right? Because um, I don't think I really saw much of like Vietnamese girlhood and diaspora in the U.S. growing up in what I was reading um, or in different media. So I think yeah. in that way, there's some healing there. Yeah. And it almost feels like having that courage to create a work like this, you're, you're creating that clean slate opportunity. And then you can say, my narrative begins here now. You know, the past is sort of mended or taken care of in a way, and then you can, you can kind of proceed. Now, in terms of the construction of this, uh, this work, there's these wonderful descriptions, and I haven't had the pleasure of reading the collection just yet, but I'm really looking forward to. Um, there's uh, different types of, of structures in the poems. How did that come about for you, constructing these, these poems? Are these poems gathered or are they constructed? Yeah. Um, yeah. For the most part, I would say they were gathered. Um, I wasn't, I feel like I've had a few of these questions or I've read comments um, or heard comments from others that, that my collection um, has like a pretty wide, diverse spread of just the way, I, like the different forms of poetry in there. Um, and that wasn't purposeful, at least not when I was writing individual poems, you know, I was just kind of thinking, okay, like what form does this particular poem want to be in, right? And I had mm. a lot of fun experimenting um, with how that might play out. And I was in grad school, so it was <laughs> the time for experimenting yeah. and kind of trying new things out, you know, and for the most part, I kind of wrote these poems thinking, okay, like this is what's best for this particular poem. And then when I had enough or more than enough poems for a collection that's when i started gathering and trying to figure out okay all of these poems definitely live within the same world and then i spent way too much time trying to order and reorder the poems <laughs> and then if it, you know if it hadn't gotten published i would probably still be doing that you know um because that was something i found really difficult was figuring out okay like i have all these poems um they may appear differently you know on the page um mm. but in terms of the story right and how I want to tell it, how do I want that to, to, to come across? And for me, I chose like not the most straightforward or like, I wouldn't say not cohesive. I do think it's cohesive, maybe not the most straightforward. Yeah, and, telling. and you know, that like I, I saw these phrases like, like a kaleidoscope or there's, there's just you know, a lot of different directions. And, and I guess, I guess I'm trying to figure out if, if cohesion is sort of like a, a Western idea mm -hmm. that, that these things have to be a particular theme and the through line has to be you know, very Aristotelian or something, you know, where it's just kind of like very direct and, and here's point A, point B, point C conclusion kind of stuff. Um, and of course, without, without reading the collection, I, I can't really comment on it too much, but what are your thoughts on that? I mean, uh, defining cohesion yeah. through your own lens. Yeah. I mean, and this might be kind of a sideways way to answer your question too. No, I, um, I love those. Yeah. And I mean, so for me, I'm like, okay, I think this collection is cohesive because it, you know, these poems um, all belong in the same world, right? They're all talking in different ways about um, memory and his history, specifically the Vietnamese diaspora. Um, and I do think you're right that, um, I don't know, there is a great emphasis on on cohesion or being able to 
be readable, I guess, mm. accessible. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like I'm all for that. But I also think that um, I realized in grad school, I was reading a lot more um, interesting and diverse works that maybe I would come across myself that kind of pushed back against that, you know, mm -hmm. and it wasn't an easy telling because of subject matter or, you know, the formal, um, the formal telling of those poems. And I was like, okay, like, yeah, I'm willing to do the work to try to get into this. Right. Um, so when I was putting my poems together and I was having such a tough time, cause I was like, I don't know, there is a straightforward way with these poems, you know, or maybe there, there is, but I wasn't quite figuring that out. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm, Maybe that's not what I want to do anyway, because realistically, in it, being able to write about um, the refugee experience, the immigrant experience, and diaspora and memory and lack of right, like gaps in memory, like none of that is straightforward yeah. anyway. And I just kind of had to accept, like, okay, like I'm trying to maybe force this straightforward telling when mm -hmm. maybe that's not possible, and these poems don't want to do that, and they shouldn't have to, right? And absolutely. Yes. saying that now i'm like obviously yes but i think <laughs> you know when you're in your own work and trying to figure that out for me yeah. it was like oh wow right kind of mind blown in that moment figuring that out yeah i was curious of the when you mentioned the refugee experience were there things that you discovered that you said holy shit i didn't know this was part of my own experience or my own something that kind of shook you or or maybe surprised you that you didn't know was there whether it was family or just the you know, in particular with the Vietnam War, some things that kind of caught you off guard? Yeah. Um, yeah, there are actually quite quite a bit when I was interviewing my family, just because mm. we'd never had these conversations before. Um, you know, I have people in my family who have a long poem in the middle of the collection called The Boat People, right? Like after the Vietnam War, there were a lot of refugees who were called the boat people because that's how they were trying to leave the country. Um, I have family who who were I guess quote unquote the boat people right that's how they tried to leave Vietnam some mm. successfully some not and like I think I knew some inklings of that but not very many specifics because again no one was directly telling me like hey I don't know where this information right mm -hmm. and that's not necessarily something that was just coming up naturally but um I learned more about that and that was something that like, I didn't know that much about you know and which is really regretful because even thinking back of like U.S. history class, right in yeah, high school. Yeah. Like I'm like I don't even remember learning about the Vietnam War. I know we did, but like right. I don't actually remember anything about it, right? But there was yeah. a lot that I was like, this is definitely not what I was reading about, um, or the perspectives I was reading about, and also some of the stuff I mentioned earlier. Like yes, there was this a lot of this heavy stuff I didn't know, but also I got I was asking questions like I mentioned earlier of like okay, like what kind of childhood games did you play? Like what did you do during the day? if you're the youngest of nine or 10 children, what was that like, right? Like we weren't mm -hmm. also talking about things that seem kind of silly. Like what was your favorite color when you were a kid? Like what <laughs> yeah. was your favorite toy? But when you're kind of trying to gather all of this, um, these little factoids and stuff, like it may be silly, but also it's not, right? Cause mm -hmm. all that is just like new information that is, I don't know, allowing you to see your family or whoever it is, right? In like a totally new, a new way. Yeah, yeah, because you you know you always think of like at, at least for me, I think of my mom. My mom never said anything about anything, right? And so and so mm -hmm. you're like you know you you learn from your aunt or you learn from somebody that your mom did this or that, and then it's like oh wow, you see somebody in a completely different light. Yeah. Um, do you have do you feel that this that this experience has brought you closer to to wanting to be closer to Vietnam to, um perhaps go visit or if you haven't gone visit uh is is that something that you're looking to do in the future or yeah um so i have vi visited vietnam um 
twice. I visited once, I think in middle school, you know, so I definitely wasn't thinking any of the things that I think and know now. <laughs> and I visited once um, in grad school, but it was after my first year um, of grad school. So it was before I was really actually thinking heavily and doing research and, and writing about this, to be honest. Right. But when I, the second time I went, um, I don't really know what I was expecting, um, but I feel like there was something like some kind of unspoken thing I, I wasn't like admitting out loud. That might be familiar to other people who are part of the diaspora, but I was like, oh, like when I go to Vietnam, there's going to be some kind of like feeling of homecoming, right? Or something like <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Um, which was not the, not that it felt the opposite, but you know, my Vietnamese, I'm not super fluent. Like I know some Vietnamese, I took Vietnamese language classes mm-hmm. all three years of grad school, but I'm not super fluent. Um, so, so for for me, that was kind of a shock. And obviously, Vietnam is very different from the US. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, I had this kind of feeling, but I think maybe a lot of us do were like, okay, like, this is where my family was displaced from, like, this is yeah. home, whatever that means, but it isn't necessarily right. Or right. home is a lot more complicated than that, right? Sure. So the, in yeah, and in many ways, the US is home and also isn't at the same time. So that was before, that's how I felt before I even started writing these poems. And I haven't in one pandemic and all the things I <laughs> one day would like to go back again, you know, and I'm sure, sure that's sure. Be very different. I do know after my three years of grad school, I did apply for a Fulbright in Vietnam to work on a creative project and mm. I did not get it. I was um, an alternate. Darn it. I know. I was like, <laughs> let's hope this person who got it says no, but obviously they did not because it's a wonderful opportunity. But yeah, I was hoping to go to like, to write some poems and do more creative work there. And that unfortunately didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a few years since then. So, I mean, now I don't, that project isn't as like heavy. Like that's not where sure. I am right now in my writing, I suppose. It's not as sure. heavy on my mind because I'm kind of in a different place with my um, my current, I think, writing. But mm. um, I hope to go back one day for sure. And just, um, it'll, it'll definitely be interesting just because now I do feel closer to my family, at least my Vietnamese family in the US. And there's right. a lot more that I know um than the last two times i i was in vietnam Hmm. how was the pandemic for you and how did that affect your writing speaking of covid and all this (laughs) stuff was that a huge roller coaster for you did it affect things a lot yeah um i mean i don't know what to say that like others probably haven't said or haven't um thought i mean the (laughs) pandemic has been hard for sure yeah yeah. um yeah it's been very very hard and only recently have i kind of returned to writing I think most of the pandemic, I didn't write very much, but to be fair, while the pandemic was hard, I wasn't writing that much after grad school, even before the pandemic, <laughs> I will sadly admit. Um, I Burnout? Is there, was there a lot of that? Yeah, I think, I don't know. I am thinking back to like graduating with an English degree and, and then an MFA and like feeling some pressure to be able to like get a job and take care of myself and mm-hmm. not have my family be worried about me. Um, after I graduated from the MFA, I um didn't really apply to fellowships or like yeah fellowships residencies all 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 these kind of creative things because I was like no I want a salary I want a paycheck and benefits um which I don't want to say I regret I mean I wish I had taken the chance on myself but I also think there's the reality too that for some of us it's like nope yeah I gotta start like thinking of a job right Uh um so the first let's see I think Three years after my MFA, um, I was still working for my university, but in a few jobs in student retention and student engagement. And <laughs> there's a lot of burnout in those areas. And <laughs> oh, I definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely experienced some of that. And then 
me working in student retention um, for university during a pandemic was Ooh, I can't imagine that. really hard. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, I mean, I still know a lot of people in higher ed working in those positions. And at some point I was kind of struggling between, you know, being an ambitious person and wanting to do well and like, I don't know, rise up in the ranks in student retention because I had people around me who were brilliant who were like, yeah, I want to be a director of this and this. And I was like, oh, okay, I should be, that's what I should be doing too. Right? right. And then I was like, but at the same time, I also should be writing. And I was like, there's no way, maybe there was, but I, to me, I felt like there was no way to do both because I'm one person and time and rest. Yeah. And then um, when my book, when I found out my book was getting published in summer 2020, was it? Yeah, summer 2020. Um, I still kept working retention for a while, but for me, all of a sudden, I was like, that's the thing. Like, writing is the thing. Like, that's actually where my focus is going to be. And it's okay that I'm not hustling to be like an right. assistant director or director, of whatever, because realistically, that's not where like my true passion is. Right. Um, and I had to kind of remember that again. <laughs> yeah. It's like something had to yeah. jolt you back to say, I'm a writer. You know, I was like, you snapped mm -hmm. out of it. Right. I was checking out your portfolio before we did the interview and I was checking out this, it was the, uh, the fun list. I clicked on it. I didn't know what to expect. And there was this really amazing, like stream of stuff coming at me. And I was hoping to see if you could tell me something about these extra projects that you work on and, uh, the, the dumpster poets, Gosh. which I love, <laughs> I love that, <laughs> that title. Yeah, I think it's okay. awesome. I do want to say, first of all, if I'm thinking of, I'm trying to remember what, on my website if i'm thinking of the correct list <laughs> if you open up the page and it was kind of scrolling across is that correct yeah okay yeah, i do want to yeah. i do want to give a shout out to one of my good friends um mariah because that was totally her her baby her project and she asked me if i had ideas <laughs> to, to add to that um and she herself is um not a writer but a wonderful artist like visual artist um mm. but i think in terms of zines um that was something I started, well, something I learned about, honestly, for the first time in grad school because of one of my, my classmates, mm. um, Megan. Um, and then all of a sudden I was like, wait, this is perfect. Because growing up, I was always, I don't know, I don't like to throw anything away. I was always collaging and like keeping newspapers <laughs> and all these things. And my parents were like, what is, what is this piece of trash? And I was like, no, I need that. You know, I, I was just collaging all the time. And then all of a sudden I realized, wait, I can be doing that and like create a little book and like also if I want to distribute that and now I can use, you know, my university printer and copier and all that, you know, like perfect. Right. <laughs> um, so that me and Megan, um, we created Dumpster Poets together just because there was a, a local zine fest in Phoenix that started. Um, I think it started for the first time while we were in grad school. So we were like, OK, like, yeah, let's have fun mm. with this and um, and make some projects with it. And for me, we, we kind of did different things, but for me, I was bringing together the collaging and the poetry. Um, and it was really cool just to be able to say like, okay, these are the poems I have and that I'm creating specifically for these zines and I can make as many as I want. I can sell them for a few bucks or honestly, I can just kind of give them away to friends, you know, and I'm not, I wasn't really thinking about like publishing, you know, how to get published and all those mm. things. I was just having fun with it. Um, but then fast forward to, to when my book came out, um, I mean, I've still been making um, zines even after after grad school. But one of the things I had a really fun a fun time with um, my book came out was making a zine specifically, like alongside a companion zine. Um, yeah, oh, for right. my book, um, just I, I said it was for you know a few 
pre-order it, but I still make so many and still like to give them out just because um, I guess another way right into, I think the collection. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so with zines, do you feel that it, it gives you an added element of, of discovery that you can't find in just poetry by itself? Or is it just, you know, this can, this can be for fun or maybe this, this could be just for yeah, fun. Yeah. Um, I think maybe all of it. Like, I don't honestly want to say, yeah, like, I don't think it's something that I'm doing zines because it's something I can't get from poetry necessarily. Um, I think that was maybe the first thing you said, but yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it's just another way to bring like the visual element into it for me, I think. Um, when I was bopping around trying to figure out what major do you want to study? Um, at one point I was like, oh, I love photography and I, I do. I am not a necess- necessarily a good photographer. Um, my dad is actually really into photography. So I feel like that has influenced me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a, a fun way for me to kind of bring in different art elements, you know, um, that I might not, at least right yeah. now, I'm not currently doing usually when I'm, I'm writing in poetry, but um, I have slowly been doing a bit more hybrid work, I think. So um, that's kind of mm. where my, my current poetry um, ambitions <laughs> maybe um, are kind of headed. Do you have a, a memory of a collaborative experience that you learned something from? Yeah. So I'm just going to talk about maybe like, the most recent collaborative thing I've did. Um, and me and my, my best friend, one of my best friends, Maritza, she was actually a fiction, um, like a fiction writer in my MFA cohort, cohort with me this past summer. Um, we both were not writing, like we had not been writing. And I was like, hey, um, <laughs> let's write like collaboratively in a form of these back and forth letters. And when I say letter, like they don't have to actually be letters, right? But how about I start off with the poem, you respond, I don't know, poetry, prose, whatever, whatever happens, happens, you know, but like we can just kind of jump off mm-hmm. and rip off of each other in terms of inspiration. Um, so I was doing that. And I think that was last summer that we were doing that. Um, and we did that over the course of a few weeks. It was actually really cool. And then at some point, I don't know if we lost steam or we were like, okay, this is what it is for now. Um, <laughs> but in terms of just like the learning element, um, it just made me want to collaborate more, I think, because I feel like since graduating from grad school, you know, I'm not in classes, I'm not having the same level and amount of like frequency of conversation about literature and, mm-hmm. and writing, right? Like that's a very oh, yeah. privileged place to have been able to do that. And I'm so grateful for that experience. But since then, right, it's has not, has not been the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, wow, okay, I need to start having more of these conversations and being a little bit more deliberate and intentional, right, about working and writing um and collaborating with other writers or artists because before i was like okay i'm not writing at all and it doesn't feel great but also i'm busy and i'm one single person right and i was like oh okay we can hold each other accountable accountable is actually not the right word but like we can be inspired by each other um and i was really amazed by like where our writing went because i don't know the first poem was probably like some random throwaway right and by the end i was like we just made something really beautiful that we can kind of come back to as this collaborative project, or we can just kind of take away like a poem from it or one small piece from it and kind of expand that, you know, beyond um, just, you know, these few weeks of us going back and forth. Yeah. So it flexes, it helps you flex that muscle of, of creative generation and, and things like that. I got a couple more just to be mindful of your time. Yeah. What are some works that you're currently digging, like stuff that that is really inspiring you or or kind of like knocking your socks off that you say, oh, this is really awesome stuff? I had a stack of books near me, but I think maybe they're upstairs right now because I, <laughs> um, okay, it's fine. Um, yeah, I honestly have been 
really amazed by just the amount of like wonderful work being put out by Asian American writers right now. Um, I mean, one, I am intentionally like seeking out these works and these writers, right? Whereas before I wasn't really intentionally doing it, um, you know, before grad school and all of that. Yeah, I'm just really amazed. Um, and I think part of that is just being able to see myself in the work, you know, not that we're writing necessarily the same thing at all, but just being able to see that our writing matters, right? Our voices matter. The last book I read um, was by Shelley Wong. Sorry, I was like, I'm going to mess up the title, but it's As She Appears. And I'm like, <laughs> well, let me double fact check that because maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to butcher it. Um, but yeah, it's As She Appears. And I think it's coming out in May, actually. I had pre-ordered the book. Shelley's book is um, like their de debut work, you know, so I've been reading a lot of debuts, both poetry and fiction, actually, from Asian American authors, mm -hmm. um, which is just a really wonderful celebration, I think, right now. Um, and I've been thinking a lot of debut yeah. works just because like my book that came out was a debut, right? Um, it's been really, yeah, really wonderful and just really abundant, I think, right now. Yeah, it's an exciting time. What What's on the horizon right now for you uh, creatively? What What kind of projects are you interested in pursuing right now? More poetry is the goal. Um, and I was like, okay, people keep asking me if I have a second collection of manuscript and I'm like, no, but I'm working on it. You know, I have some poems and I'm trying to write more. <laughs> in some ways it's freeing but a little scary to not have like a quote-unquote project because this last book was very much i feel like the term i've seen people use is a project book you know like all of these poems are um like i mentioned earlier about susie with an eye and like her world and all that right and i wrote all these poems maybe not first but eventually i realized okay like this is the world i'm building right um and now i have all these poems that are not within the same world necessarily right they're not kind of building this bigger story in a way. Um, so that's really cool. But also I haven't done that before um, for manuscripts. So it's kind of scary. Um, and at the same time, I've been reading a lot more nonfiction. And that's for me, not something I, at least not recently, I haven't read a lot of nonfiction. It's definitely been poetry and growing up a lot of fiction. Um, but because I've been reading a lot of essays and some memoirs recently, now I'm trying to write poems, but also my brain's like, no, I want to write an essay. <laughs> I want to write a nonfiction essay. And I'm like, okay, um, that's cool. You know, I wrote my first one recently, which was um, fun, but also again, I don't necessarily know what I'm doing, which is totally fine, right? I'm, I'm learning. Um, it's kind of exciting that, to be excited, you know, in that, in that way. Um, so I think for me, I want to write another collection of, of, of poetry for sure, but also now I'm trying to explore nonfiction more. Um, I don't necessarily know what that means. Um, I think it's just me reading a lot of nonfiction and a lot of memories coming to the surface, um, you know, and me taking note of these memories. And because I'm reading nonfiction, maybe the first way I want to write about it is to tell a story through prose, through nonfiction, um, and to see where that goes and not necessarily a poem, which is kind of weird for me um because you know i've really only stuck <laughs> that that's kind of the yeah default, it really right? is so i'm kind of like wait now when i sit to write i'm like is this going to be a poem or nonfiction? i don't know let's just kind of see what happens to be determined about that but i mean like i said it's just nice to be in a place where i'm excited and i'm, I'm finding time um i started a new position back in october and of this job it's mm. allowed me to have a bit more bandwidth and oh that's the best energy for writing you know and yeah, i was like this yeah. is amazing you know where what was i doing for for three years and no man, I, I, I love that because retention <laughs> with with one of those jobs you know i can imagine that time just keeps going and going and then you look up and it's like time to go to bed and you're like uh where's my writing time where'd that go lastly 
I, I like to ask folks this because I selfishly want to get hyped, you know, about my own <laughs> creative pursuits. So uh, I'm curious, what would you say creativity and in specific, uh, specifically your poetry and your creative projects, what have they done for you and your quality of life up until this point in your life? Yeah, I love that question so much. Um, I think for me, I think a, a big thing is just being more observant um, and in order or as a part of being observant or maybe because of being more observant um, and whether observant is literally my physical surroundings, right? Or being observant of, okay, like this memory that just popped up or this feeling, right? Like, and as I mentioned earlier, I like to save everything and that includes these memories and things, right? And you immediately get it down in some ways and come back to it. Um, but yeah, in practicing, I, I don't know, I feel like being observant is a skill, honestly. Um, and I'm trying to actually be better at it because as I said, I'm not in grad school, right? And I'm kind of getting back into writing a little bit more seriously and with more um, time and renewed energy all of a sudden. I'm like, okay, like I need to flex these muscles again and the skill again, right? So I'm trying to get back into to being better at being observant, but I think that's allowed me just to kind of appreciate more of the, the beauty around me. And I think a part of that beauty too is, is some of the stuff I write about. And that includes like the grief, right? Like the loss and all that stuff too. But I'm glad that I can be more in tune and observant of those things um, and take better notice of them. I think that's definitely a lifelong skill and being a writer or being creative or any kind of artist, right? I think helps you learn that skill and flex that skill more. Awesome. Well, with that wonderful note to end on, I really want to thank you for your time, for your amazing work. And I really wish you the best on this next project and the next chapter of your creative stuff. I think it's going to be great. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. This was so fun. <laughs> Thanks so much. Take care. Bye.